Hey, welcome to the Vineyard. Um, if this is your first time with us, I'm Jeremy. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here. I want to welcome you. Um, and as Sasha said, um, if you're a guest with us, um, you know, don't feel obligated to give. We want this time to be a gift to you as we celebrate together, as we worship together, as we learn together. Um, so we're, we've been, we started a new series a couple weeks ago, uh, but before we dive into that, it's kind of a segue into that series. I want to talk about uh, an email that I'm going to be sending later today um, or tomorrow. Uh, some, some inquiries have come about, hey, what are we doing? Because uh, many of you know that um, we are engaged in, in cross-cultural international missions across, across the world, the Vineyard Movement in general, but as well as our local church, that we have partnerships uh, with different churches uh, in various countries. Uh, so we also have people in Vineyard churches and ministry you work with in Ukraine. And so there's going to be some opportunities uh, to, to support kind of the Ukrainian people right now. And so part of this is going to be, hey, prayer, because it's, it's going to be important to pray uh, just for peace and for those who are, who are suffering right now. But also there's going to be some uh, pretty cool direct opportunities to give that's going to go straight to uh, the people of Ukraine and so with the ministries that we partner with. And so uh, those details will be coming a little bit later this week. I uh, just want to let you know what's, uh, what's going on and kind of those, some opportunities that are coming up. All right. Okay. So we are in this series called Living the Lord's Prayer. And what we're doing in this series is we're, we're kind of going through the famous Lord's Prayer that we've all, if you've, if you've been in church for any period of time, you've probably heard at one point or another, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're new to church, if, you, if you're new to kind of this whole experience thing, it's, it's a popular prayer that we find in Scripture that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And that has been uh, prayed for thousands of years in the church. Uh, in the church. And so today we're going to be looking at this prayer. We're going to be breaking it down and we're going to unpack the, the depth of this prayer. Um, all the things that Jesus meant when he told us to pray this prayer and how we live that out in our lives today. And so in the first week we talked about our father. And so today we're going to look at, look at the next part. But for right now, let's, let's, let's look at the prayer in whole. So the disciples asked, this, this, this prayer is in the middle of Jesus' famous uh, Sermon on the Mount, one of his most popular sermons that we know of. And in this prayer, he's, and this is what he says to the disciples, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have, off, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about our Father. Today, we're going to be looking at the next clause of this prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done. This is a, there's a lot wrapped up in this one sentence. <laughs> your kingdom come and your will be done. So the first thing we have to begin to understand, I, didn't, I was going to draw like these really cool pictures, um, but then I didn't because I ran out of time. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to draw it with my words. <laughs> We're going to imagine this, all right? So we have heaven and we have earth, right? So we have the kingdom of heaven as we see in Matthew and other, and other gospels. It says the kingdom of God. And, and the kingdom of heaven, we have heaven, which is God's space, all right? We understand heaven as God's space. You with me so far? 
All right, then we have Earth. Earth is our space, right? So we got our space, we got God's space. And so when Jesus says to pray, your kingdom come, he's actually saying, hey, we want these spaces to come together. God's space and our space overlap, and we see his kingdom, which overrides earth, and all that is right with this, his, his kingdom, the goodness, the mercy, the, the no more cries, the no more tears, all of that stuff comes and happens on earth. All right, so this is what Jesus said to pray. And after this sermon and throughout Jesus' ministry, we saw these pockets of heaven happening all around him, a healing there, right? Forgiveness over here, a community restored over here. All these pockets, all these expressions of heaven that would happen everywhere Jesus would go. And so Jesus was saying, hey, when you pray this, we're saying that heaven and earth get to come together in this collaboration, in this explosion, and we get to see heaven on earth. So we have God's space, we have our space, and they're coming together. And so that's one part of this prayer of your kingdom come. But wrapped up in this clause, we have Jesus looking back and looking forward. And whenever we dive into scripture, especially in the New Testament, we can't look through the New Testament without looking back and also looking forward. Everything in the life of Christ calls us to look back and to remember and to understand and to look forward and walk forward in what he has for us now. So let's look back at, at what is captured in this prayer. So when Jesus prays as he captures the prophetic language, if we want to look at Ezekiel 34, if you have your Bible. Ezekiel 34, verse 11 through 12. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. And so this is the prophet Ezekiel talking to Israel. Israel at this, moment, at this time was in exile. They were struggling. Things were hard. And this is what God spoke to Israel through Ezekiel. And verse 15 and 6 says, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. So in this prayer, in, in this prophecy, in, in Ezekiel 34, in, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel was talking about a time that is coming, right? He's talking about what is going to happen, a time when the kingdom of God will appear. And he's describing it in Jesus, and he says that God will come down like a sheep and shepherd his flock, that he will protect those who are hurting and oppressed, that he will, he will rescue them. And then Isaiah 52, 7 through 10. How beautiful are the, on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into the songs of joy together. You ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of God. 
So we have a lot of things wrapped up in, in these prophecies, in this prophetic language. There's a lot of things wrapped up. And so we're going to focus on three kind of main overarching themes and what is happening in this prophetic language. And so, and it's important because this, when Jesus talks about your kingdom coming, he's, he's, he's looking back to this prophetic language. And the first thing is the freedom from captivity for Israel. Israel was constantly dominated, oppressed, and taken over by other empires. And so there's this promise like, hey, you will be free again, and you will be free again because I freed you before. Because before that exile, uh, about a thousand or so years before that, you were enslaved and captive by, by the Egyptians. And I freed you before, I'm going to free you again. You're, you're in bondage now, I'm going to free you again. And so wrapped up in this prophetic language is a freedom from captivity. And then also what we see in this language is God defeating evil. Like, all evil, it's, it's over with, Right? And so we have these two big things, and then we have the return of God, the return of Yahweh to Zion. Those are like really big things, <laughs> right? And so what happened? Jesus came. He brought freedom, right? He defeated powers of evil. And Jesus the Son of God and part of God, Yahweh, came back to Jerusalem, to Zion. So you're like, it's over, right? We're done. But no, that was like part one. You know when you watch a show and it's like the season finale and you get really excited because you're going to find out what happens and then it happens and then it says to be continued and you're like, what? How dare you? I've been waiting six months for this show to end. And you're going to make me wait a little bit longer? That's what Jesus does. <laughs> he shows up at the season finale. Everybody expects what he's going to be, who, who is going to be, what he's going to do, and what's going to happen. And he does it, but not in the way that anybody expects. And then the narrative changes. And then it's to be continued. Because what we see in the revelation of John is this new Jerusalem, Right? This new Jerusalem, which we see, comes down from where? From heaven onto earth. And everyone is free, not just Israel. And all of evil is defeated, not just the Roman Empire. And God returning, Yahweh returning to Zion, we find out that Zion is heaven on earth. It's a lot wrapped up in this kingdom thing, right? So freedom, defeat of evil, and the return of Yahweh to Zion. Now I want to talk about New Jerusalem right quick. Because this, this idea of New Jerusalem, I, I truly can't get into all of it in one sermon or one series, but we're going to just recap it just really quickly. And often when we look at Revelation, we kind of look at, one, it's a really hard book to interpret, okay? Like, can I just name that right now? Like, there's like a million different interpretations of Revelation because... It's very hard. There's a lot of imagery. 
And we've taken kind of some ideas over the past several hundred thousand years or so and like really crafted kind of these narratives. But if we take a step back and look at that, the, the overarching story of God and, and, we, and we, we put revelation in that story, we have New Jerusalem, which is heaven, God's space, right? This new city and earth and them coming together. The same thing that Jesus prayed, the same thing that, that, that we pray, that he tells us to pray. But one thing that's really important to, let's, let's understand what New Jerusalem is. First and foremost, it's not the United States of America. Just waiting for somebody to throw something at me, all right? New Jerusalem is not the United States of America. You know, when we see evil and corruption and like everything, like all these things like being made right and in and, and Revelation, we kind of get in our minds who we have personified as evil, which is often a people group, right? A political group, our neighbor who won't stop cutting their tree over our fence, right? God's going to get you. But this isn't the evil and the corruption that, that God is talking about. He's talking about, in Revelation, when he's going to take everything down, he's talking about the tyrants, the oppressors, the systems of evil and corruption that oppress and destroy his creation. This is what he's coming to do. We see Jesus coming in Revelation, and we're like, oh, he's coming on this white horse, and he's got blood all over him, and we think it's like 300, and he's just like going through folks, taking out all the people we don't like, and all the people we do like he's saving, right? We have these images. There's one problem with that image, though. When Jesus comes, he already has blood on him. Before he does anything, he's covered in blood. And from what we know, that blood tends to be his. And the sword he swipes is the sword of truth. The sword of peace that brings, that slices through and brings back together and makes whole. This is the new Jerusalem. It's restoration, it's renewal, it's hope. It's not violence, it's not death, it's peace. And so we have this pivotal moment when Jesus comes and he fulfills all the things that the prophets say about who he's going to be. But then we find out that it's just part one, that is to be continued, and that the story that he came to end is really just the beginning, and now the story isn't just Israel's story, it's our story. That everyone he draws to him, he sends out on his behalf. And so we go from Israel in and through to the church. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, 
This isn't just something we say on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday afternoon. This is our very lives. This is the very world we live in. And so we have to deal with this tension, though. The tension of a kingdom that has come. Well, the, the things we have seen Jesus do, the things we have seen happen in the last couple thousand years that are absolutely miraculous, the things that have completely just made things whole. We have to hold that in the tension of a not yet kingdom. Of, of, we have to hold that intention with like, we actually haven't seen the whole new Jerusalem come down yet. It's not fully here. And there is brokenness. There is pain. There is war. There is death. How do the disciples handle this tension? I mean, if we're disciples of Christ, let's look at how, uh, how some of the di- Jesus' direct disciples had handled this tension. Often they handled this tension with discouragement. Right, like they came back after this really cool meeting with Jesus and Elijah, and it was just like this really ethereal thing that happened. They come back from this wonderful place, and then they go to pray and cast out a demon. Something they've done before, and it's happened, and it's worked, and it was this beautiful thing. They do it, and nothing happens. They fail. They get really upset when Jesus keeps talking about him having to die. They're like, no, that's not supposed to happen. When we experience the not yet of the kingdom, when we experience God's not will happening, it's discouraging if we're honest, right? It's discouraging. To the point where like sometimes the way the disciples handle it and sometimes we as disciples handle it, we just want to give up. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I've tried. It doesn't work. These same disciples also responded with prayer. They kept trying. They kept praying. They responded with faith. They kept believing. And it was the hope of what was to come that kept them going. And so often, so something I, over the last couple of years, I wrestle with, and, and I just think we have to allow ourselves to wrestle with because we can't just live in these nice, pretty, pretty boxes that, like, explain everything and and dismiss the things that don't, that don't make sense. Like, the disciples did not cast blame for the things that were wrong in the world. They say, oh, this thing is wrong in the world. Well, this is why. It's your fault. Or, or it's, this, it's this fault. It's, it's because it's like, no, they faced the harsh realities of the world they lived in, and they prayed, and they lived out the prayer of your kingdom come. And so we have to wrestle with this, like, the sovereignty of God, right? What we learn in Scripture is that God is sovereign, And so we hold that truth. But can we also hold the truth that often not his will is done on this earth? That when we see massacres, that that wasn't God's sovereignty. That when we see hunger, that that's not God's sovereignty. And so this prayer of your kingdom come invites us to wrestle with the reality of a kingdom that has come and a kingdom that is coming and not ignore it, not dismiss it, but to continue to push in. So as we reflect on these, on these last couple of scriptures on, on Isaiah and, and Ezekiel, 
I'm, I'm reminded of uh, one of these prophecies in Daniel. Daniel described the Son of Man. And he created this image like the Son of Man is going to come down like this asteroid from space, come down, hit the earth, and just take it all down. Like every evil thing that could be there, he's going to take it all down, and he's going to restore humanity. It's a pretty vibrant image. And then we have Jesus, and what do he call himself? Son of Man. Peace loving, gentle dude that kind of just walked around, talking to people nobody else talked to, caring for people that everyone else forgot. This gentle soul who invites us to gentleness. And so I would invite us to view this kingdom in both realities, both in power and in gentleness. A kingdom of God who comes in power and takes down the powers of this world. And the kingdom who is like the shepherd that tends to his sheep, that comes in gentleness. And so our prayer is for both. Because sometimes we need gentleness, and sometimes, y'all, we need power. When I think about the oppression I see all around us, we need power. When I think about people who are bound in so many ways to addiction, to any number of things, they, they need gentleness. We need both. We pray for both. And so as we live this out, there's, there's three particular ways as we get closer, closer to wrapping up. Not wrapping up, we're getting closer to it, though. I promise we're getting closer. We look at the world, the church, and we look at ourselves. And so we have to be able to view the world in two ways. The world as this beautiful, majestic creation of God that when you just walk out, it just it brings you to tears when you see the glory of God all around you. When the birds sing and the water flows, it just brings peace. And then there's a, a world that we also see that is ravaged, that is in disrepair, that seems like it's barely hanging on especially as our hurricane season just got an extra two months, <laughs> right? The world is struggling. The world is broken. And so we have both views. We have both realities. And so when we pray your kingdom come and when we live out this prayer, we operate in both realities. We can't have one or the other. We have to hold the tension of the two. I mean, it's the same thing with the church, right? Like, so the church is not the kingdom. I think that's really important for us. And we talk about that a couple of times. Like, the church is not the kingdom of God. The church represents the kingdom. 
God has commissioned the church to be light and hope in the world. But we are, as, as if we look at it with, with true eyes and we think about it in the light of this prayer, we are a redemptive church, y'all, that needs redemption. I mean, our, our vision at the Vineyard Church of Baton Rouge is that we are building redemptive communities. The church is meant to be a place of redemption. And guess what? The church needs redemption. If we're going to be honest, right, the church has made some really bad mistakes, has done some really awful things. The church has represented the very systems of power and corruption that Jesus came to destroy in the last 2,000 years. Can we be honest? And so in the same way that the church needs redeeming, Jesus still calls the church to be its place of, of, of light and hope in the world. And so we hold that tension, but we live in that tension. We acknowledge the distrust and of, of what's happening right now with the church and say, yeah, you know what? That makes sense. I understand why you left. With the reality, was like, hey, and yet, it is going to be through the church that we see this world made whole. And then we look at ourselves in our, in our own journey. Ourselves that, that are marred by sin, that are marred by brokenness. Ourselves that are, that are redeemed, but that continue to need redemption, right? We talked about this, this before. What we learned in the New Testament, we learned from Paul is that we were saved, we are saved, and we are being saved, Right? that this is an ongoing process of salvation and redemption, that we're on this journey of, of, of being healed healers, <laughs> that as we are healed by God, we are, go out and are ministers of his, his gospel so that people can, can experience that healing of Jesus. And so it's like it's not helpful to also have an over-realized view of our redemption, right? And over-actualized uh, perception that, oh, I'm redeemed. I'm fully redeemed. I'm good to go. And just like it's not healthy to have in this over-exaggerated view of I'm just a sinner. I'm broken. I'm nothing. Just a sinner saved by grace. No, we are broken. We have messed up and we, we are redeemed and we are being redeemed. And so when we're saying your kingdom come, it's also our own formation becoming more transformed into the image and likeness of Christ that is a part of what God is doing in the church and in the world and a part of his cosmic work that is happening far beyond our pay grades. It's happening as a part of that, not separate from it. And so we don't ignore the bad and focus on the good. Because the reality is, y'all, our privilege, living in the developed world, living where we live and the opportunities that we have, our privilege often allows us to not focus on the good, not focus on the bad, instead of focus on the good. But we also don't ignore the good and focus on the bad. Right? We don't look at everything around us and say, well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. 
Bye. Like, no, there are, there are good things happening. There are amazing things happening. God is moving. And so we live in both spaces, praying and living this kingdom, which has a purpose here and now and today. And this is how we do this. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to God's will. And so we see in Matthew 6, 10, your kingdom come. What's the second part of that? Your will be done. which tells me his will is not automatic. That if this is how Jesus is inviting us to pray, even though God is sovereign, and yet he still is inviting us to pray, your will be done. And so we have a couple ways we can orient to this. We can, it can be with this more passive way, which is, yeah, your will be done. Lord, like, let it be. Like, what will be, will be. It is what it is, Right? Okay, sera, sera, right? Like, it's your will. Like, let it happen. Or it's no, Lord, your will be done. I am praying right now in this situation for this person, for that group, your will be done, your kingdom come. And a matter of fact, you tell me how you want me to be a part of that right now. What are you calling me to do for your will to be done? It's not enough for me to say, hey, Lord, just your will be done. I'm, I'm gonna sit here and like hope it happens. But no, your will be done, Lord. Come, let your kingdom come, and let your will be done. Now, we have to understand something. We have to know like what's our fight and what's his fight. Because sometimes we get really excited. Like I get really excited. Like, oh, we about to, we about to, we about to take it down right now. We about to burn it down. We about to like, we're going to fix all this stuff. We're going we gonna to help them. We're going to do that. And it's like, hold up, hold up, hold up, slow down. There are some battles that are his battles, and there are some that are ours. Y'all, we don't get to take down the systems of evil. <laughs> like, I would, I would like to. Like, I've read some really good papers on, like, on different things of like, hey, this is how you take down the system. I'm like, that's cool. But that system isn't just people. There's evil behind that. And only Jesus can take care of that. And there is a battle that he is asking me to fight, that within that system of evil, that I would be a light, that I would challenge things, that I would push things, that I would show what it means to be a redeemed disciple and follower of the Most High. And he who searches our hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so we examine our hearts and we ask God to also perform an exam, which sometimes isn't always comfortable, right? I don't like when my dentist does an exam. 
that we ask God to do an exam so that our heart will align with, with his will. All right, let's look at a couple practical tips. So, this week I want to invite us to pray your kingdom come. But, like, let's really pray. So let's, let's think about those three specific things that we talked about, the world, the church, and our own heart. Okay, and so in each of these areas, look at the good and the beauty. Acknowledge the broken and the corrupt. And pray for God's will to be done. It's probably going to take a couple days, so, you know, just like, take your time. You got a whole week. number two. All right, seek God in prayer and ask him to examine your heart. What needs to be renovated? Where is there misalignment with him? As you pray, kingdom come, how is God asking you to participate with him?